This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. Proof of God's fatherly, paternal love towards us is His consistent, firm, and loving discipline in our lives when we are testing His boundaries and we're skirting the borders of holiness with our life and sin. And if you and I get off the path of righteousness as one of God's children, you will find that God is willing to pull out the spanking rod, if need be, to get us back on the correct path. Discipline is not something that any of us would say that we enjoy. In fact, most of us would say that we don't like discipline at all. However, as many of us know, especially parents, discipline is actually an act of love towards someone that we want to see grow better. In today's message, Pastor Josh is going to be talking about how God guides and directs his children when they stray off the path that he knows is best for us. It's a temporary pain that leads to long-lasting strength. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. As he continues his message, Jesus offers the better race. Please turn to Hebrews chapter 12 as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Hebrews. We are ending the near, ending the near, nearing the end of the book, and uh, we are going to be taking just a portion of chapter 12. We're going to go through verses 3 through 17, Lord willing. We'll just be doing this. Again, I lost several of my notes, so we'll just kind of go with what the Lord puts before us. But Hebrews chapter 3, I'm just going to read the passage Perhaps you want to just meditate on these words as I read it, and then we'll dive right in. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more be readily in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they, indeed, for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and this by many become defiled." Lest there be any fornicator or profane person 
like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it diligently with tears. Amen? Powerful, sobering passage we have before us this morning. We've been talking in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12 about the race that God has set before us. The author gives us a picture of an athlete who is giving a specific course to run. And the way that that race is run is so essential to its success, to finishing it well, to crossing that finish line, having run your race well. And we started this whole chapter is actually a picture of what it looks like to run that race. We started off by seeing that that race has been run not only by us, but by others. It reminds me of the, the businessman who was coming through Kansas City, and he was driving through, um, oh, what's that place called over there? Uh, is it Peculiar? Is that a place? Peculiar, Missouri? I, I don't have any commentary on that. I, <laughs> when we lived in Georgia, there was this little town called Between, so you would you'd go through it real quick, and you'd say, oh, I'm in between, but... <laughs> Also not a good place to be as a Christian. Uh, anyway, I digress. So he's, he's driving through, and he gets distracted by his phone, and his car drives off into a ditch. And he's stuck, and the nearest tow station, tow truck, is miles away. And all of a sudden, a guy comes riding up on his buggy with his horse, you know, rolling through. And he stops and says, oh, man, I, you, you look like you're in a ditch over there. Anything I can do to help you? He said, well, if you can help me get, get my car out somehow. So the guy took his horse and chained up, tied up the car and tied it to the, to the horse and uh, got that horse ready. And as he tied the, the horse, he said, pull, Nelly. And the horse stood there. He said, pull, Daisy. And the horse just stood there. Pull, Sonny, pull. And the horse just stood there. Then he came to the horse and he gently patted it and said, pull, buddy, pull. And that horse got right into action and yanked that car right out of the ditch. The man was so thankful. Man, I can't thank you enough, but I I just have a question for you. Why did you keep saying all the wrong names for the horse? And he said, oh, because Buddy's old and blind. If he thought he was pulling it by himself, he never would have done it. We learned that the Christian race can be discouraging at times if you think you're alone in it, but you're not. You have all these saints, you're surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses who have gone before you, who have finished their race in spite of trial and difficulty and temptation and the loss of worldly goods and even the loss of their own life. They've shown us the example and their lives are cheering us on from heaven as we go, but not only that, but we're running side by side with each other. We are not in this race alone. We are all on the mission of Christ. And we run by knowing who has gone before, by limiting or casting off, excuse me, everything that limits us, every hindering factor, every weight, every sin that entangles us in its web. And we run with endurance the race that is set before us. And the way we do it is by keeping our eyes honed and our focus fixed on Jesus as our example and as our goal, our hope of heaven. As we continue to look what it means in this picture of running a race, we're gonna go through several more points. So if you're taking notes, jot down the first one. The next way we run this race is by embracing God's discipline in our lives. 
embracing God's discipline in our lives. Every athlete must have a coach that corrects him. Every son or daughter must have a parent that redirects them when they're going the wrong way. And so it is with us. Verse three again tells us, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. So there he basically is encouraging us that when you get tired and weary on your journey of faith, and you're discouraged because so-and-so kind of mocked you for your faith, or you tried to do something for the Lord and it didn't work out that great, or you had an unexpected health diagnosis, or something has gone wrong in your life, turned the opposite way than you thought, and you become weary and discouraged, he says, just remember that you still haven't gone as far as Jesus went is in his endurance to win his race, in shedding your own blood for sin. In fact, Jesus did that so that he could provide us strength in the middle of our battle, provide us endurance in the middle of our race. So consider him. But unlike Jesus, we aren't perfect. We, Jesus, man, his eyes were fixed on the prize. But ours often get distracted. We're frequently going all, you know, over on this direction and going off on this direction and finding way. So God, in his mercy and love, has to, as a father, redirect us into the right path. And so verse 5 tells us, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons, as children. And then he quotes the book of Proverbs. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now, if you are a parent this morning, I need not speak to you about the importance and necessity of discipline. In fact, I would say it's a paternal instinct for a father to discipline their own children. Why? Because a child left to their own desires and to their natural propensities will never move in the direction that is best for them. They will move in the direction that they want, regardless of whether or not the outcome is positive or negative for them. This is how children literally are designed. This is why the Bible says, what does it say? Train up a child in the way they should go. In other words, parenting is not passive. It is disciplinary. That discipline sometimes is corrective, sometimes it's instructive, sometimes it's, uh, it's to bring training and teaching, and, and yet we are called to discipline by ways of sometimes physical discipline, by ways of spiritual discipline from the dangerous paths that they might naturally take. And sometimes, here he says that the Lord even scourges every son whom he receives. That's a powerful word because sometimes discipline requires a rod. Now, I know that this is not popular language today. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say it. But sometimes, the, uh, the board of education must be applied to the seat of learning, if you catch my cryptic <laughs> message there. I can't ever think of a time where any of my kids have been excited about moments of needed discipline. But as a father, my love for them would be incomplete if I was to withhold discipline that might protect and save them from harmful decisions or a harmful direction, which I won't spend time on this a lot, but I I just, I think it's the epitome of satanic deception that our culture would look at children today and say, yeah, we have to feed them, we have to tell them what, what to do, we have to teach them 
things in school with just common sense, but they can decide if they're a boy or a girl or anything in between, and we can provide them gender reassigning surgery and gender affirming care without really even mentioning anything to their parents, and we can teach them in kindergarten that they can be and do whatever they want when it comes to their sexuality. That is that's purely satanic. It's evil. And it's deception in that children need direction. They need to know the boundaries. And what does discipline do? Discipline helps us understand what the boundaries are. And the boundaries don't exist to hamper our fun or to keep us from good. They exist so that we might not get ourselves off into a place of pain and disrepair. And as children adopted into God's family, proof of God's fatherly paternal love towards us is his consistent, firm, and loving discipline in our lives. When we are testing his boundaries and we're skirting the borders of holiness with our life and sin, and if you and I get off the path of righteousness as one of God's children, you will find that God is willing to pull out the spanking rod if need be to get us back on the correct path. But here's a couple things I want to point out. Number one, the passage here in verse five teaches us that it is possible, listen, it is possible to become discouraged by God's discipline if you forget why he's disciplining you. Notice there in verse five, again, he says, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, listen, or be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. So the author is recognizing that sometimes when you're in and under the discipline of God, you can respond to that discipline by being discouraged, by feeling frustrated, by being angry at God. Why would God allow this in my life? Why would God give me that border? Why would God give me that boundary? Why does God want to keep me from all the things I want in life and all the things I would like and enjoy? Why does that happen? Because you forgot something. You forgot what the word of God says. You forgot what it says about who God is and what his intention is for you and what his desire is for you. When you remember, you embrace God's discipline in the correct way. You see, we have a choice of how to respond to God's correction in our life. We can despise him for his tough love and become discouraged to the point of wanting to give up on God, or we can view his correction as an expression of his unfailing love and faithfulness to us, his children, and be encouraged and redirect us. Here's something I found true in my own life. I hope it's a helpful statement for you. But I have found that the things that Satan wants to use to discourage and distract us are often the very things that God is using to discipline and direct us. Things going on in your life, how will you respond to them? By seeing how God's moving in it and what he's trying to teach you in it? Or by taking the lie that God has forsaken you, forgotten about you, no longer cares about what's going on in your life? God never disciplines us to destroy us, but to direct us into a better path than the one we're on. And as a father, I... I think it's important to differentiate even the difference between God's discipline and ours. I know, I've read the Bible, I've tried to learn from God, I've tried to walk in the spirit, and I know, okay, don't discipline your kids when you're just at the the heat of your anger. (laughs) 
And don't discipline your children because you've lost your temper and you can't control yourself because you're gonna do something that you regret. You're gonna say something you regret. But let's be honest, as human parents, have we all not fallen into that place where we're not disciplining our children because of what they did, but because of how it affected us? We're, we're angry for ourselves. We're impatient. We've lost our temper. We've lost our cool. They're getting annoying. I know your kids never get annoying. But here's the thing, and I think it's important to say, God knows no loss of temper in a fleshly and carnal way. God never disciplines because he's just so frustrated with us that he doesn't know what else to do, and so he just loses it. Never. God's disciplinary action in our lives is only and always attached to his heart of love and desire to bless and, and desire to see us be everything he created us to be. There's never any other intention that comes from God. But Satan will try to convince you that when your circumstances aren't correct or aren't the way you were hoping, that God's not letting you go your own way. He's trying to keep you from the best in life. But we have to learn how to be responsive to God's discipline. I think I've mentioned before, I've been to India. Uh, I really have enjoyed going to India many, many times in the past. And here's the thing, here's something I noticed about driving in India. You go to India, and, and what you see there is chaos. There's no lines in the road. There's no, no attention to any sort of signals uh, or street signs. You are, they're, they're, they have these little rickshaws, and they pile like 20 people in them, and then they have these little dirt bikes. And you have, you know, a, a five-year-old on the, on the bars, a seven-year-old sitting on the gas tank, mom and dad sitting on the back on this little dirt bike going like 70 miles an hour. Between, I was saying all American mothers would just not survive in <laughs> India. And they, what, what happens is they use their horns all the time. You're driving down the street, anywhere you go, and you, all you hear are horns. And I'm thinking, coming from America, when an American uses their horn, it's because they've lost their temper. It's like road rage. You idiot! You know, you're honking because you're angry and you've just lost it. In India, no, no. You use your horns as a sign of respect. It's like a language. You know, one honk means I'm coming to your... Two honks, you know, scoot over so I can pass you three honks, I'm about to hit you, whatever, whatever it is. But there's like a language to it. And so everyone honks and they all, you know, if you don't honk and you're speeding past someone, you don't honk at them, that's an insult. You're not thinking about them. But there is one animal in India that has no respect for the honk. It's this water buffalo, which, by the way, makes the best milk for chai lattes. So if you ever get your hand on some water buffalo milk. Anyway, they, these guys, they stand in the middle of the roads, and no ifs, ands, and buts about it. They know who owns the road, and it's them. They'd much rather get hit by a truck than move for a horn or a honk. They just stand there and stare at you. Josh, why are you talking about all this stuff? Uh, simply, all I want to say is this. Don't be a water buffalo in India. Seriously. Don't be those who hear the corrective honks of the Holy Spirit in your life and bulldoze ahead in your own stubborn pride only to get hit by a truck. Let us listen. Be receptive, knowing that God's discipline is never coming from an angry judge but from a loving father who wants to see us in the best potential place in our lives. He continues his thought in verse seven. He says, if you endure chastening, 
God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, uh uh-oh, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. So here he draws a contrast between those who are disciplined by God and those who aren't. And I want you to note this phrase in verse 8 regarding the chastening that he talks about. He says, of which we all have become partakers. Do you, you hear that? In other words, there is no true son or daughter of God who does not participate in the chastening of the Lord. I remember, you know, growing up, and I think every person who has a sibling understands this. Is it true there's like always typically one sibling that tends to get in trouble a little more frequently than the other? <laughs> you know, the, the one sibling, basically you tell them, you know, stop, and they're like, oh, sorry. And you just look at them wrong, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry. And the other, per- the other one, you're like, stop, and they're like, you mean stop this? And I remember growing up, like, having those moments where, you know, like every sibling, you kind of snicker when, you're, when your brother's getting it, getting it, you know, you got away with it, or always, you know, I'm glad I never get in trouble like him, you know. Regarding the chastening of God, get rid of all those pious looks. If you're visiting, sorry to break it to you, you're all rotten sinners, every single last one of you, and so am I. We all, when we come into the family in the fold of God, guess what? We come in in need of discipline, in need of chastening, in need of corrective instruction, all of us. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, the Bible says. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But notice here the contrast. The author basically tells us that there is no one who's truly in the family of God that gets left out of God's discipline. And so the, the obvious question then is, what if I'm not disciplined by God? What if I'm the kid who just gets away with everything because his parents just don't really care? As a kid, you might think it's a sign of, oh, I got a cool parent, you know? Let me do whatever I want. But that's not a good sign as a Christian. What, does that, what would that say about God if he let his kids do whatever they want, be whatever they want, do whatever destructive path, whatever feels good to them, and just do it? And yet here's something you also know about parenting, right? You discipline whose kids? Whose kids do you discipline? Yours. Because if you walked in the store and every time you thought, oh, that kid just needs, you know, and, you, and then you went and grabbed them and dragged them into the bathroom, you'd be arrested and be a weirdo. You can't be doing that. It's not your kid. It's not your authority. It's not your responsibility. You don't discipline in the same way, right? I, um, my friend Adam, he's coaching the uh, St. Joe Christian flat, second grade flag football team, second, third grade flag football team. And he said, hey, can you come just help me out at practices, you know? We'll do this, kind of just do this together. Well, my son's on the, on the team, and so is his. And, you know, no favoritism. Everyone gets treated the same. But there's, there's one kid that gets like a little extra measure of my words and my instruction, and right? Because he's mine. Hey, Alex or Nick or whatever, okay, I'll, but if he's mine, I take a little more freedom because that's my responsibility. I'm his father. Thanks for joining us today for Pastor Josh's study from the New Testament book called Hebrews. 
We hope you've been encouraged in your love of God and your love of the people of this world. If you'd like more information about The Ascending Life or would like to hear other teachings from Pastor Josh, visit our website at theascendinglife.com. We have an array of messages from different topics gleaned from God's Word, available in video and audio format. Feel free to download these messages and take them on the go as well. It's always great to add a bit of God's Word to every situation. And in this fast-paced world we're a part of, that can change the mood of a day in an instant. You'll also find links on our website to our social media pages, and we'd love to connect with you there. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram to stay up to date with everything happening at The Ascending Life and Grace Church. You'll find links to both at graceontheweb.org. If you're in the St. Joseph area, we'd be honored to have you join us at Grace Calvary Chapel for our weekly service. You'll find all the information you need about our church, service times, and locations at theascendinglife.com. Not in the area? No worries. You can still join us this Sunday for worship via our live stream. Just visit theascendinglife.com to connect. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. We hope you've been encouraged by what Pastor Josh shared. There's much more to learn from the book of Hebrews, so be sure to join us next time right here on The Ascending Life. We're pressing